Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 173, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a fantastic week. Enjoyed week five NFL action. Uh, it's been a little bit of a long week for your boy here, so it might be a little bit of a shorter episode, but you know what? We had to pump out the content. We had to make sure we broke down the things we saw this last week, and of course, jumped in to break down what we might see, or if Nostradonautic pulls through, what we will see this weekend in our week six action. All right, so let's get straight in to my standout seven. Looking through some of the games, there were a couple things I was going to focus on, do the bigger story as we usually do, but we're pushing towards the halfway point of the season. I thought maybe we'll just do a progress check here. Look at the best team in the AFC. Look at the AFC standings, do a little bit of a check-in, same for the National Football Conference, and then move on to a primetime wrap-up before we start talking about the weird story that is Steve Smith versus Jerry Judy. This is like the third episode in a row, by the way. We just wound up on random, off-the-field rambling. Um, If you guys aren't a fan of it, let me know. Comment section, if where you're listening has a comment section, or social media, all social media, at NickDonotic, N-I-K-D-O-N. A-D-I-C. Quite honestly, I think it's been decent, right? I think it's decent content for the show. We talked to Evan Neal last week. That was bizarre. Um, We talked about the weird Justin Fields stuff. I thought that was a couple weeks ago. I'm not really sure when that even was. It's all a little bit of a blur. You know, the NFL season has launched off like a rocket, and before you know it, we're in week six, ready to roll. We're going to be talking Thanksgiving games in no time. Uh, Flying by in the blink of an eye. That being said, let's get started. Let's talk American Football Conference. Let's do a little bit of a standings check-in, as I said. Right now, the leader in the AFC East after a contentious weekend for the Buffalo Bills in London, and we'll talk about that in a sec, is the Miami Dolphins at 4-1. The AFC West, led by the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs at 5-1. The AFC North is an absolute clown fiesta. Pittsburgh in first by tiebreaker at 3-2, despite having a points for, points against deficit of negative 31, and Baltimore having plus 34. Pittsburgh won the head-to-head. We'll talk about that. And the AFC South is also in a tiebreaker situation. The Jaguars are 3-2 right now in first place, but the Colts nipping at their heels. And oh, by the way, This week, we are going to see a Colts-Jaguars matchup, so that should be fun. As far as the wild card goes, we've got the Colts at 3-2, we've got Baltimore at 3-2, and and we've got the Buffalo Bills at 3-2. Nice and clean, no tiebreakers. Look at that. You can't ask for much more when you're doing a standings check-in. Now, the thing I wanted to get to here, who is the best team in the AFC? I think it's a little bit of an odd spot to break down. And the reason I say that is, by record, it's Kansas City, right? Chiefs fans, thumping your chest a little bit. But admittedly, I don't think anyone would argue that the Chiefs have had the most dominant start to the season. I mean, if you look across to the NFC, who, like I said at the beginning of the year, it's going to be a top-heavy conference. There's a little bit more depth in the AFC, in my opinion. Kansas City, or rather, sorry, You look across to the NFC, you have San Francisco and Philly just doing their thing, right? Kind of running the show. Here in the AFC, you have Kansas City, 
They beat Jacksonville by eight. Okay, fair enough. Close game. They barely lose to Detroit. They blow out the Bears, and you're like, okay, they're going to start rolling. Then they get a little help from the Zebras. A little bit of clutch timing from them as well. They beat the Jets. Barely beat Minnesota, right? 27-20. It was 27-13 after three, but 27-20, we'll play the game. And then this past week on Thursday Night Football, 19-8 over Denver. This is a Denver team that gave up 70 points not too long ago, right? It's a Denver team that lost to the Jets, right? Okay, well, that's interesting. You can't go just by record. All right, let's look around. Well, Jacksonville lost to Kansas City, but at the same time, Jacksonville also beat the Buffalo Bills, as we just alluded to, in a pretty interesting game that we can dive into here. If you'd like, Jacksonville wins this one 25-20. They're up 11-0 at the end of first. By the way, 11-0, very odd score. Um, High-scoring fourth quarter, though, 14-13 in the fourth. Trevor Lawrence in this game goes 25-37 for 315 and a touchdown. Travis Etienne, his Clemson running mate, 26 carries, 136 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Of course, Calvin Ridley had a big game, a buck 22. Christian Kirk showed up, 78 of his own. Evan Ingram a little bit lost in the wash, but uh, four catches for 28 in this one. 27 of 40 on the other sideline for Josh Allen. 359, two touchdowns and a pick. And this is pretty much... All right, like I'm not going to rip the Bills. They just beat Miami last week. The Bills are a good team. They're going to be a playoff team. I consider them an AFC title contender, a Super Bowl contender. I don't think I'm alone in that, obviously. However, they ran for under 40 yards in this game. And that's not to say you have to have an elite rushing attack to be a title contender, but, and look, Jacksonville's got a good defense. This game showed two of the issues that might rear their head if you're a Buffalo fan and you're like, all right, well, how did we lose X game? Well, Josh threw the ball to the other team. And we had no running game, really, to speak of, so you got one-dimensional, right? And they've been one-dimensional. It's it's not breaking news that Josh Allen is one of, if not their best runner of the football. And that's not to knock Damian Harris, who had good times in New England. He's a pretty good back. That's not to knock Latavius Murray, who's, you know, on the back end of his career, but he's still pretty talented. And James Cook, who I think is pretty good. But I thought Devin Singletary was good, too. And it just didn't really develop into a potent rushing attack. Never did. Which is interesting, because you talk about a quarterback with great mobility and a solid passing attack, and somehow you can't really develop a running game. Which is interesting to me. Um, on the receiving side of this one, before we move on from the stats, Stefan Diggs, 8 for a buck, 21 and a touch. Great game. Gabe Davis, 6 for 100 and a touch. Great game. I mean, this game at one point was... 18-13 with Buffalo going for two to make it a three-point game. ETN winds up scoring the go-ahead touchdown. Obviously, Buffalo goes down and makes this a one-score, but didn't wind up with the onside kick. That being said, this is a big statement win for Jacksonville. They played close with Kansas City, and they beat Buffalo. At the beginning of the year, I was saying, I think they're going to be in contention to rise up from just, oh, the AFC South division winner to a legitimate AFC contender, and I think this game, you know, lends some credence to that. We'll see how they do against Indy. If they get blown out by the Colts for some reason, then I'll probably have to eat some crow. But as we stand right now, an impressive win for the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Now that brings us back to the question. Would you say right now, they just beat Buffalo. Would you say right now, Jacksonville's better than Buffalo? I don't know if I would. And look, that might sound foolish, but we're talking big picture here, and they literally just beat them. How can you make that argument? Well, I mean, come on. Come on. Who did Vegas think was going to win? Who did you, right now, listening, who did you think was going to win? Come on. Come on. It's uh, not shocking to me if anyone were to make the argument, yeah, they beat Buffalo, but Buffalo's still better. I'm sure there's some people out there that would say that with Miami versus Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo got them, but the game was in Buffalo. Miami's still super explosive. Miami's going to beat them if they play down in Miami. When they play down in Miami, rather. And that's a fair argument. And that we're kind of doing, like, to cross sports as we are inclined to do on this show, you're almost doing, like, an MMA math sort of thing at this point. MMA math being like, oh, he beat so-and-so, and so-and-so beat that guy, so that means that this guy can beat that guy, too. It works sometimes. It doesn't work all the time. For pretty obvious reasons, I would say. Um, and the reason I mention that is, well, Kansas City beat Jacksonville, and Jacksonville beat Buffalo. Buffalo beat Miami, so does that mean that Kansas City is the best team? Where does Pittsburgh fit into all this? Because they're tied for first place right now. They beat Baltimore, and I'm sure there's people out there that would say six weeks from now, that's not going to be the case. They're not going to be in first place. Oh, by the way, Cincinnati is slumping. How long is that going to last? Which, admittedly, as someone who picked Cincinnati to be not only an AFC contender, but a title contender, is a fair question, right? We know Joe Burrow's not healthy right now, but will he be healthy for the meat of the season? Will this be a situation like... Baltimore's had in the past handful of years where their QB has been injured and it's just been a sort of an issue, right? And it kind of derails the season. That's entirely possible as well. Um, not to mention Baltimore, by the way, who is three and two. And as I've said, Lamar Jackson seems to be good for an injury the last couple of years. Right or wrong, that's just the way it seems to be. So... How's that going to go? How's that going to play into the power struggle? Now, I didn't ask the question if I didn't have an answer, have an answer, that is, in mind for you. Am I satisfied with my answer I'm about to present you? No. Is it a little bit of that MMA math I just discussed? Or boxing math, if you're a boxing fan, I guess. Uh, perhaps. I will rule out teams for you here. I would say as much as a Jacksonville, you know, fan I am, I'm not going to put Jacksonville number one in the AFC. I'm not going to do it. I think they lost a close game to Buffalo, not to mention it was overseas, which is Buffalo was quote-unquote home, but it's a neutral site game for all intents and purposes. Although you can make the argument Jacksonville was already over there, they were a little bit more acclimated, no jet lag or whatever. Additionally, Jacksonville plays there like once or twice a year at this point. A decent chunk of fans there for them. I'm ruling out Jacksonville. Teams that I will honorable mention here. If Indy wins this week, they've got to have a seat at the table, right? Indy without Anthony Richardson is going to be a tough case, but Indy's a good team. Genuinely. They are a good squad. Um, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. The AFC North is such a clown fiesta. I am not going to be willing. I mean, it's not a shock that I'm saying that, right? Pittsburgh's defense is tremendous. I like Kenny Pickett. I need to see more. Consistently. I think he's talented. 
I thought he was talented back at Pitt. He needs to show a little more, right? Now, has he shown more than some of these other young QBs in the NFL? Maybe, depending on who we're asking, depending on who we're talking about. But, and it was a huge play to, apparently, based on Matt Canada's reaction, their offensive coordinator, straight up call his own play and hit George Pickens for a go-ahead touchdown at home against a hated division rival. You know, tremendous. That is a gutsy play. That's one of the plays where if he can take his game to the next level, they'll be talking about for years to come as the moment when they realize they had something in a young Kenny Pickett. That being said, that's a hard division. Because like I said before, Lamar Jackson's health is always a question mark for me, but he's been out there and obviously it wasn't enough for them to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Will Cincinnati get healthy? And by Cincinnati, I mean Joe Burrow. We'll find out. We're getting to the point, I promise. Miami has lost to Buffalo. Okay? So does that disqualify them from being the best team in the AFC? They lost to Buffalo in Buffalo. Well, Buffalo lost to Jacksonville. I don't think that disqualifies them. However, and this will be that, me being that guy, Buffalo losing to the Jets has to disqualify them. Right? It's it's week one, I get it but it exemplified all the things that you're concerned about when you have a gunslinger quarterback. If you can lose to a Jets team who was demoralized, downtrodden, and was using their backup QB one week into the season, not even one day into the season, you can lose to anybody. Now, with a gunslinger QB, you can beat anybody too. Um, I want to see some more Von Miller. Let's see how he looks this season, and then I'll see. So that leaves me with Miami... And the aforementioned Kansas City Chiefs, who I just told you I've kind of been underwhelmed by. It's a tough one. Kansas City lost opening night as a defending champ to a Detroit team that was hungry out there, yada, yada, yada. Close game. Miami got punked on the road, gave up 48 to their division rival. Showed that their strength, which is putting up points, can also be a strength for teams facing them, depending on the matchup. I don't love the skill position talent for Kansas City, which is the absolute opposite of the Miami Dolphins situation, where you have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and the gang, right? And Devin Devin Achane. Achan? I believe I've been botching the name. I've heard it different ways. We'll go with Devin A in the backfield. One of the fastest running backs in the league already. Um, who's obviously going to be dealing with some injury issues, but that's neither here nor there. I guess I'll default. I'll be boring. I'll, I'll give it to Kansas City. They've won five in a row. Um, have they been the most impressive wins? No. I really, I really would prefer, if I was being honest, who do I think has been playing the best? It's hard to ignore that Dolphins loss, though. You give up 48 to a division rival. I guess I'll I'll be boring. I'll give it to Kansas City, even though when I started this block, you could tell I really didn't want to. But we're doing it live. I guess Kansas City, by default, as the defending champ, 5-1, and one, I'll give them the AFC crown as we sit right here, pushing into Week 6 of the NFL season. That takes us to the National Football Conference. Now, you and I both know that there's only two teams that could be the answer here, right? Uh, But we'll do the honorable mentions. 
Tampa Bay sitting at three and one, leading their division, with the Falcons and the Saints right behind them at three and two apiece. Uh, very hotly contested. I like what I've seen in bits and pieces from all three of those teams, if I'm being frank. Detroit taking advantage of a Rodgers list division and Minnesota slumping. They're four and one. They have to get a nod. I think right now they are likely the third best team in the NFC. You want to say, oh, Seattle's three and one. Eh. Eh. I mean, Seattle beat the Panthers. Hooray. Seattle beat the Giants. Hooray. I don't know, guys. I don't know. They beat Detroit in Detroit. That's fair. You can make that argument. It's the same thing I was talking about with the AFC. How can you put a team above the other team when they've beaten them? Well, it's a power ranking. It's not a standing, right? They beat them in Detroit, too. So maybe I'm wrong on that one. Let me know what you guys think. Either way, and then, of course, you know, honorable mention, I guess, to Dallas, who looks beat up and uh, doesn't look like the same team that blew out the Giants but a handful full of weeks ago. Oh, by the way, playing the Giants and Jets, not exactly a test of your caliber of talent in the NFL this year. Just putting that out there. Um, we're here to have the debate, the Philadelphia Eagles versus the San Francisco 49ers. I'm giving the nod as we sit here today to San Francisco. Now, admittedly, I am both expecting and looking forward to, just like everyone else is, an Eagles 49ers rematch, which will be coming in about a month and a half. December the 3rd, we'll get that rematch. Um, just two weeks after we get the Eagles-Chiefs rematch, by the way. A little bit of rough scheduling for Philly, but the reason I've got Philly here at two is you're talking 25-20 to 20 against the New England Patriots, who have since looked awful, right? Admittedly. In Foxborough, fair enough, you're talking 38-24 against Minnesota due to a little bit of a late surge by them. Minnesota has one win. Then... 25-11 to 11 against Tampa Bay in a game in which Jalen Hurts turns the ball over twice through the air, right? They beat the Commanders in OT. Commanders play them tough. It's a divisional game. I'm not going to give you too much slack for that one, right? That's a, You're allowed to have tight games with divisional opponents, but you win by three. And then this past weekend, I mean, you beat the Rams in the Rams' place, which is not saying too much, but... Admittedly, 23-14, not the most impressive victory for the bulk of this game. You know, they didn't score at all in the third quarter. They scored late in the fourth, or not late in the fourth, rather, but in the fourth quarter to make this a two-score game. But I'm not really impressed with what they're turning in. You know, they're winning games. It's kind of like Kansas City. Honestly, when I look at it, when I think about it, they're churning out wins, and that's all that matters. And you want to hit your stride and hit your peak come playoff time, so maybe that's what they're aiming to do, and quite honestly, that is the smart approach, and it's from two teams that have, obviously, had playoff success. Um, San Francisco, on the other hand, 30-7 in Pittsburgh against what's one of the better defenses in the league. Close victory for them against the Rams, 30-23 as well. Maybe the Rams are a little underrated, especially with Cup coming back now. They blow out the Giants, as they are inclined to do. They blow out the Cardinals, as they are inclined to do. And then they blow out the Dallas Cowboys worse than they blew out any of those other teams. That is very impressive to me. Not because Dallas 
you know, I wasn't really buying into the Dallas world beater hype. Dak Prescott goes 14 of 24, a buck 53, a touchdown, and three interceptions. Oh my goodness. Was it a day of reckoning for the Dallas Cowboys in Santa Clara this past Sunday night? On the other side, Brock Purdy doing what he does, 17 of 24, 250, four touchdowns. I mean, Jordan Mason out of the woodwork has more rushing yards than McCaffrey. McCaffrey gets his touchdown, as he always does. Um, I don't think we've even seen Debo Samuel really have a big game yet this year. George Kittle, three catches, three touchdowns. Okay, sure. I I mean, it's... I wouldn't go so far as to say an embarrassment of riches, right? Like, I'm not going to say this is an all-time offense. At least not right now. I mean, if these things carry out and they go 15-2, and maybe I will. But it's not... Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Edron James and Dallas Clark. But in terms of production, I mean, they're doing the, they're doing the job. Christian McCaffrey right now, I would say no one really debate, probably the best running back in the NFL in terms of utility, as well as just straight up putting up numbers. Debo Samuel's a weapon. Like I said, they haven't really had to utilize him yet. I think Brandon Ayuk's a pretty underrated, solid number two receiver. And Kittle in this game alone shows you there's still that George Kittle in there that they can bust out when they want to. The numbers might have declined a little bit, you know, due to injuries or this and that, and switching to being a, well, they were always a West Coast offense, run the ball, pound the ball kind of thing, but he's still that guy. Is he going to be the best tight end in the NFL in terms of statistics and sort of putting up receiving yards and touchdowns? Probably not in an offense like this, but... The talent's still there. This is a really good team. You take a look at San Francisco's schedule. Right now they're 5-0, and obviously, as are, as are the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, this week they've got Cleveland with no starting quarterback. Uh, I don't want to spoil the pick'em portion for you, but I'm pretty sure we're going to go San Francisco. Then they've got Minnesota in primetime. Kirk Cousins does not win in primetime. Admittedly, the Vikings may be completely up the creek without a paddle at that point. You can argue they are already. Then they've got the Bengals. Is Joe Burrow healthy enough to take down this San Francisco team? I think Nick Bosa might have a few things to say about it. We'll find out. Then they've got Jacksonville after a bye. We've got a little bit of a gauntlet here, you know? Not to say that Minnesota is a tremendous team. They're 1-4, and and Justin Jefferson's on IR. However... Cincinnati and Jacksonville back-to-back is kind of a statement stack of games. It's almost a shame that they have the bye in the middle. But if you're a Niner fan, I'm sure you're happy about it, and I'm sure you're happy to catch Joe Burrow earlier in the season rather than late if he truly is getting healthy. Then they've got Tampa Bay, who we just said played the Eagles already, Seattle in Seattle, then Philly in Philly, then Seattle in Santa Clara. They've got some games left. You know, some interesting ones. They've gotten some of the, uh, you know, they got the Giants out of the way. They got one of the Cardinals games out of the way. They've got some real spicy games coming up, and that's the same for the Philadelphia Eagles. As I said before, they've got a matchup coming up with those 49ers, as well as the Buffalo Bills, their games with the Dallas Cowboys, and the Kansas City Chiefs, as well as another game with Seattle. Not another game, but a game with Seattle much like the 49ers have. Right now, to surmise, my top two teams in the NFL, San Francisco emphatically, and the Kansas City Chiefs confusingly, 
right? It's hard to put, you know, you put the losses side by side. Sure, Miami losing to Buffalo, but 48 points. Aye, aye, aye. So that's what we're taking away from the top four stack of our standout seven here. Um, as we always do, let's go through the primetime games. You know, we like to recap those real quickly. We talked Niners-Cowboys. Um, Packers-Raiders was a very weird game. It really was. It was admittedly not a tremendous game to watch. Um, I mean, it's 10-3 at halftime. Immediately out of halftime, Jimmy G throws the football to the other team. Um, Horse collar tackle winds up later in this game. You know, this was bizarre to me. Obviously, Green Bay ties the game and yada, yada, yada. There was a horse collar tackle in this game in the third quarter by a Vegas defender that straight up, like I said, it, it was a brutal tackle. It was penalized. But the defense bows its neck after that. They wind up only going down 13-10 instead of 17-10. They wind up winning this game 17-13. While we're talking about this, obviously, I love to harp on weird coaching decisions, as everyone does. What's going on here? A minute 56 left, and you've got Daniel Carlson kicking from 52. I honestly didn't... I didn't hate it, I guess. He'd missed prior already. Right? And, I mean, 52 is not a mile away. I think it was fourth and relatively short, if memory serves. Very odd. It works out for them, right? And if it works out, they'll do it again. That's what I've harped on with Brandon Staley. You know, we can't go an episode without mentioning Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, but, yeah, very weird game. Also, Jordan Love did not have a great game. The Packers didn't help him couple of drops on that last drive really didn't help with a young QB, but 16 of 30, a buck 82, three interceptions. It, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. No Aaron Jones out there. Yeah, not tremendous. Um, Thursday night football, another game that quite honestly wasn't great. It wasn't great. Mahomes goes 30 of 40, 306, a touchdown and a pick. Isaiah Pacheco looked pretty good on the ground. Um, Travis Kelsey had a huge game in front of Taylor Swift, and now we got to look at Taylor Swift every time the Chiefs are on TV, and the Chiefs are on TV all the time. Trust me, I'm just as uh, over it as you guys are. Not rooting against them by any means, but, uh, I mean, gosh, guys, it gets old. It's getting old pretty darn quickly. Uh, admittedly, Rasheed Rice, who, I mean, they just find guys out of nowhere, and by I'm sure by week 17 we'll be saying, oh, where he's tremendous, look at him go. Uh, Rasheed Rice, four catches for 72. Pretty pretty good receiver. Pretty good receiver. Uh, out of nowhere, as I said. Pacheco chipped in another 36 in the receiving game. The reason I say I'm not thrilled with the Kansas City like skill position cluster is almost like entirely numbers-based, if I'm being honest with you. Um, Travis Kelsey's tremendous. And I think there's some really good athleticism there. I like Richie James a lot. I liked him when he was with the Giants, and he doesn't really get a sniff in this offense. Kadarius Tony drops problems aside, has some good athleticism. Sky Moore, we've seen him contribute here and there, but, like, it almost feels weird. It almost feels like you're seeing them kind of grasp at straws. Like, ah, yes, we'll draw up some plays for this guy, and, and maybe it'll go good. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I'm reaching here. Chiefs fan, let me know what you think. But the fact that they're being so 
for the lack of a better term, diverse in where they're trying to facilitate offense is kind of weird to me. I don't know. Like, they don't have a go-to guy outside of Kelsey, and maybe that's all you need. But when you look across the AFC and you see a little bit more depth, or even across the NFL, I should say, when you look at San Francisco, when you look at Philly, when you look at Miami, when you look at Buffalo, a little bit more depth in terms of premium talent at that position, it's really Andy Reid with his playbook and some athletic dudes. Is it going to be enough? I'm not sure. Has it been enough before? Yeah, it has. I mean, you remember a few years back, them bringing Jarek McKinnon in out of nowhere, and he looked tremendous. He was the perfect X-factor for them for a little while there. And maybe this will be the same. But I'm not exactly sold on it. This is completely a diatribe. Because what we're supposed to be talking about is the fact that the Denver Broncos, coached by Super Bowl champion head coach Sean Payton, put up eight points in primetime. 95 passing yards for Russell Wilson, two interceptions. Javante Williams looked good when he got the ball, 10 carries for 52. All right, I guess. Cortland Sutton, four catches for 46. That's half their passing yards. Um, The defense didn't look bad. They did not look bad in this one. Um, Also, by the way, Denver was shut out into the fourth quarter. Uh, Four field goals for Kansas City in this game, just the lone touchdown. Hmm. Kind of odd. Uh, Just one of those things, like I said, this is a team that gave up 70 points. You, you scored 19 on them. You're at home. It's a short week. H- how? It doesn't exactly instill confidence. Uh, that's the primetime wrap-up. Let's take us into number six in the standout seven here. Let's talk about this weird Steve Smith-Jerry-Judy conflict before we push to the end and eventually push into the pick'em portion of this week's episode. So... Apparently, at one point, Steve Smith had referred to Jerry Judy as just another guy. Okay. I mean, fair enough. Jerry Judy, I think he's pretty talented, admittedly. However, you look at the stats he's put up in his career. You look at the fact that, you know, he's had a little bit of issues staying on the field. All right. I think that's a fair assessment to make of Jerry Judy, if I'm being completely honest with you. He has kind of been just another guy on the field for the Denver Broncos. Now, admittedly, the entire Denver Broncos offense has not been tremendous in the last handful of years here. But you're talking about a guy that was picked middle of the first round. You want to have beef with it? Sure. Okay. Um, so then supposedly, or apparently, I should say, not supposedly, this is from the horse's mouth, Steve Smith tried to call over Jerry Judy while he was working his media obligation, I believe, for Amazon, or perhaps NFL Network. I don't remember explicitly where he works nowadays. Jerry Judy apparently brushed him off and said, you know, to use the non-profane way of saying it, I don't mess with you, dude. To which Steve Smith went on the air and started talking about how, you know, Jerry Judy's an average wide receiver, eventually they're going to move on from him, yada, 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 and admittedly, they probably will eventually move on from him. Teams move on from damn near everybody eventually. Um, Also, they've tried to trade him multiple times, and whether they're holding out for a high price or there's not as much interest. There was rumors that he might be a giant last year. There was rumors that he might be shipped across half the league, if memory serves. So clearly there's some interest there. Um, And if you're an average wide receiver, you tend to think there might not be that level of interest. They might think that some of the production issues have been quarterback and or offensive scheme related. 
and I tend to agree with that to a certain degree. I think Jerry Judy's pretty darn talented. Um, but I get where Steve's coming from. You got to show us eventually that talent, right? It can't just be, oh, we think he's good. But then again, this guy's coming off of just under a thousand yards receiving. As a rookie, he had 850 yards receiving. That's not bad. He scored 10 touchdowns last year, right? We're talking about a Denver team last year who was 5-12. and 12. I mean, they only threw 18 touchdowns. He caught six of them, right? Like, their leading rusher last year was Latavius Murray in 2022. Like, what are we doing? He was the leading receiver. He played one less game than Cortland Sutton. He had less targets than Cortland Sutton. More yards, more touchdowns. I like Cortland Sutton, too, by the way. I'm not going to turn this into a Cortland Sutton bashing uh, excursion here. He's a good player as well. This is weird to me. And I've seen some pushback towards Steve Smith. And admittedly, it makes me laugh. Because Steve Smith, it is true. He's number eight all time in receiving yards. Yep. I don't think of Steve Smith when I, you know, when you think of who are your top five receivers you've watched play football? Or even who do you think the top five are all time? I admittedly do not even, I'd have to go down the list to get to Steve Smith. Now, Steve Smith, as he called Jerry Judy, just another guy, he might respond to that. Well, you're just another guy. Yeah, that's true. 100% true. But what I'm saying isn't inaccurate, just like what he's saying to Jerry Judy isn't necessarily inaccurate. The Broncos will move on from Jerry Judy eventually, just like teams move on from everybody, just like the Carolina Panthers moved on from Steve Smith. Oh, just like the Carolina Panthers wound up in the Super Bowl not too far after moving away from Steve Smith. Am I blaming Steve? No, of course not. Am I blaming the fact that there was a little bit of tension between Steve and his own young quarterback, Cam Newton, who went on to be an MVP? Maybe. Steve Smith likes to have beef. That's, that's what he does. He likes to shoot his mouth a little. And you know what? That's fine. It's completely his prerogative. But, like... What's the point? What do you stand to gain as a media member randomly beefing with some random NFL player? And then not only randomly beefing with some random NFL player, but then bringing it to the broadcast air. What's the point? Who cares? Who cares? Did anyone walk away from that Thursday night telecast like, man, Jerry Judy's a bad dude, right? And I don't mean in the Stephen A. Smith on-the-field sense, because obviously he didn't do much on the field that night. They threw for under 100 yards. I mean, like, man, why would he do that to Steve Smith? That's disrespectful. I mean, Steve Smith. Like, that's what he does. He's, he's that guy, right? So when you get a little pushback and you're that guy, all of a sudden you want, like, come on. Come on, Steve. Let's be real here. Let's be real. You thought, what did you think? That, like, you were some revered icon of the game that he was going to, like, come over and, and try and smooth things over and you were going to give him pointers? No. I mean, you're not Terrell Owens. You're not Larry Fitzgerald. You're not Randy Moss. Like, you're not in that group, dude. And that's not to say you weren't a good player. You were a great player in your prime. But, I mean, you won a comeback player of the year. You made a couple Pro Bowls. Like, dude, what are we doing? 
10 years from now, you know those, uh, you guys follow any of those social media pages that are like random player of the week in this sport, right? Maybe more than 10 years from now. Who knows what social media is going to look like then, by the way. I might just beam it into your brain with that Elon Musk Neuralink or something. So you might get a notification in the corner of your eye via your brain stem that says, Hey, remember 15 years ago today, 20 years ago today, when Steve Smith had 185 yards and three touchdowns or something like that? And you'll go, No, I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that at all. 20 years from now, 30 years from now, there's going to be dudes, probably Carolina Panther fans. You'd hope if you're a Panther fan, you'd have won a title by then, right? Got Bryce Young. You've been to the big dance. Hopefully you get over the hump. And you're going to turn to your kid and you're going to go, you know, when I was a kid, there was this guy, Steve Smith, and he was really good. And your son's going to go, okay, dad. Okay. Right? Everybody has it, right? If you, your father or your grandfather, whoever's like, you know, I remember... When I was young, Mark Bavaro, he was a monster. Mark Bavaro, he was the man. Okay, well, yeah. And he was, right? For Giants fans in the 80s, early 90s, late 80s. So, my point in this is, like, come down off the, the podium a little. The high stoop, the high pedestal, rather, that you're on, Steve. Like, what's what do you stand to gain from ripping Jerry Judy? Look at this Denver offense. You tell me. What stats you'd be putting up in this Denver offense? You'd be on the sideline throwing a hissy fit. But what would that accomplish? Right? Like, what are we doing here? I don't know. That's my take on the whole Steve Smith random beat. It's just so random, guys. That's the other thing. And I mean literally. Like, people like to make the joke about the NFL being scripted. If this was scripted, this is written by an AI. Like, this is Mad Libs. Give me an uh, an NFL team legend, but not like, like you know, don't give me like one of the Hall of Fame guys yet. Give me like an NFL team legend who's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, hmm. Steve Smith. All right, now give me a first round draft pick from the last seven years who hasn't panned out, but he's still in the league. On that first team, Daniel Jones. No, 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 no. give me another one. A receiver, same position. Uh, hmm. Chase Claypool. No, 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 I said first round pick. And he's not on his team. All right, uh, Jerry Judy. Can you believe what Steve Smith said about Jerry Judy on Amazon Prime Football? Like, it's just so odd. It's so odd I had to mention it in the show, even though, admittedly, I really honestly don't care. I find it moderately funny. And we had a little bit of time. You know what? Let's fill it in there. News and Notes... Number seven in the standout seven. Before we get to the picks, let's do a little bit of a roundup here. Jonathan Taylor got his money. Three years, $42 million from the Indianapolis Colts. Buffalo, big injury. Matt Milano, done for the year. Adding on to the Achilles injury that Tredavious White suffered just a few weeks back. Elijah Vera Tucker for the New York Jets is going to be out for the year as well. Jets already, obviously... Suffering after the Rodgers injury. Now they lose one of their better offensive linemen. Um, Anthony Richardson supposedly going to be out four to six weeks with a similar-ish shoulder injury to Derek Carr. Obviously a little bit more severe and or getting a little bit more care as a young QB. Expectations are different for the Saints and the Colts, I would say. James Conner 
going to miss some time for the Arizona Cardinals. He's going to IR. As well as we mentioned earlier, Justin Jefferson to IR. Deshaun Watson, not going to go this week for the Cleveland Browns. The Denver Broncos cutting ties with former Chief Frank Clark. Perhaps a reunion in the works. We'll find out eventually. And uh, the Rams trading in a very weird move. Just unexpected. The Rams trading Van Jefferson to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Admittedly, considering Puka Nakua has kind of taken their offense by storm, and now you have Cooper Cutback, you still have Tyler Higby there, it's, there's not enough football to go around, you know? So maybe Van was a little unhappy, you know? Against the Eagles, he did get goose egg for targets and receptions. The first couple of weeks, he got four catches against Seattle a while back. He's had four catches since. Pretty good player. This is a guy in 2021 who had 800 receiving yards. He's a good player. Truly. That was the Super Bowl Rams, by the way, when they were throwing the ball all over the yard. Just about 5,000 yards for Stafford, 41 touchdowns. That was a good team. He was their number two receiver per yardage. He was. Interesting. Um, I think he'll be a good addition for Atlanta. Let's see what he brings to the table. A couple more news and notes items here. Um, this made me chuckle a little bit. Talking about the New York Giants offensive line. We talked PFF last week when we were ranting about Evan Neal. Like I said, I don't really defer to PFF too, too often. But when it comes to grading at positions, you know, they're seen as the gold standard. So I'll defer to them. Giants offensive linemen ranked 65th out of 65. 64th out of 65. That's Evan Neal. In week five, by the way, specifically. Uh, 63rd out of 65, 70th out of 70, 65th out of 70, 55th out of 70, and 30th out of 31. There are only 32 teams, by the way. Uh, And that there was buys, too, so we're talking like backups getting into action. Um, Another note from the Packers' loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, Jair Alexander, the star corner for the Packers, um, quote, The defense, we got to be the ones to score and stop them from scoring. He continued, I think at this point it's pretty obvious the defense has to not give up any touchdowns. Added, the offense is still, quote, figuring out their mojo. Um, I would say that's pretty accurate, to be honest, that they are still figuring out their mojo. I don't know if I want one of my star defensive players straight up saying, you know, oh, we got to give up, it feels like we got to give up no points. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm sure it does feel like that. But do you really need to come out and tell the media that? I'm sure you've that feeling is uh, not isolated to him in that locker room. And I'm sure the offense isn't exactly unaware that that's how the defense feels on a given basis. But fair enough. You know, sometimes the frustration bleeds over and it is what it is. Um, that'll bring us to the end of my standout seven and take us into my favorite part of the episode, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion. And we've got some pretty good matchups this week in week six. We'll get started with another, another game in London, England, this time from Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Tennessee Titans. The Titans going to be without wide receiver Traylon Burks with a knee injury, as well as linebacker Luke Gifford with a hammy and DB Elijah Molden with a hammy as well. Questionable, Tyre Tart 
and Aaron Brewer with a toe and neck injury, respectively. The Ravens going to be without linebacker Adafe Owe with an ankle and questionable running back Keaton Mitchell with a shoulder. I don't know who to take in this game. I'll be completely honest with you. I came into the season expecting a fair amount more from Baltimore than I am the Titans. And as we sit right here, they're separated by just one game. The Titans lost a one-point game to the Saints in Week 1. They barely beat the Chargers in overtime, but they did beat them. They got blown out by the Browns. Then they blew out the Bengals. Then they lost this past week to the Colts, who lost their quarterback about halfway through this game, maybe a little earlier. I mean, you're talking about combined statistics here. Combined. Richardson and Minshew threw three incompletions apiece. They combined to go 20 of 26 for 253 yards. That's pretty good. Then they gave up over 150 on the ground. To Jonathan Taylor's backup, Zach Moss. This Tennessee team is not very good. They're not. Um, This Baltimore team is not very good. They're not. So it puts me in a little bit of a pickle here. Who do I believe in more? I'm a fan of Coach Vrabel, and you know what? Coach Harbaugh's had his accomplishments as well. He's a Super Bowl champion head coach. I can't knock him. I'll go with Baltimore, but this is the most coin flip game for me, maybe of the week. Let's take it back stateside into the 1 o'clock slate as the Carolina Panthers head down to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Panthers going to be without their starting running back, Miles Sanders, with a shoulder injury, as well as two safeties, Von Bell and Xavier Woods, with a quad and hamstring injury, respectively. Offensive lineman Chandler Zavala going to miss this one with a neck. We saw him had a pretty significant injury this past week. Hopeful he's doing better, as well as tight end Giovanni Ricci with a shoulder. Questionable, two on the defensive side, D-lineman Derek Brown with a knee-slash-ankle, linebacker Brian Burns with an ankle, and tight end Ian Thomas with a calf. The Dolphins, going to be without offensive lineman Connor Williams with a groin injury. Doubtful, one on the O, one on the D. Jeff Wilson with a rib-slash-finger injury in the backfield. They're also going to be without Devin A that we mentioned before. A little thin in the backfield for this matchup. The other doubtful player is Nick Needham, DB, with an Achilles injury. Questionable, fullback Alec Ingold with a foot. Offensive lineman Robert Jones with a knee. And linebacker Jalen Phillips battling an oblique injury. 4-1 versus 0-5. Now, here's the thing. Trap games are a thing, but this would be a pretty significant upset, I would say. Now, another thing I want to mention. We've got a couple of games this week, namely the games involving the two New York, <clears throat> New Jersey teams, as well as this one, as well as the one involving Cleveland's backup quarterback, where we've got to resurrect the 60-second picks portion, not to mention there's going to be four of them, back with a vengeance. What analysis do you really need from me or anyone out there when you're talking Carolina versus Miami? Carolina, who's sitting at 0-5. That's not to say Bryce Young won't be a good player. That's not to say they didn't put up a fight against the Vikings, against the Saints. You know what I mean? For a while there, made it close-ish against Seattle. They've given up points. They gave up 40 to Detroit last week. Do you somehow think they're going to magically pick off two or three times? Give me Miami. 
to win this one. And a waste a little bit of your time. We might have pushed over 60 seconds there. Miami to win this one at home. Next, we've got the New Orleans Saints heading to the surprising, I would say, 2-3 and three Houston Texans. Saints going to be without tight end Juwan Johnson with a calf injury, fullback Adam Prentice with a knee injury, offensive lineman Landon Young with a hip, and two safeties, JT Gray and Lonnie Johnson Jr., both with hamstring injuries. Questionable, another offensive lineman, Andrus Pete, who's battling a concussion and a groin injury. Questionable for the Texans, two wideouts, Tank Dell, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as wide receiver Robert Woods, who's battling a rib injury. Uh, one injury on the defensive side, linebacker Christian Harris, who's also battling a concussion. This one's weird, because the Houston Texans, particularly C.J. Stroud, have been fairly impressive on the offensive side. But with Tank Dell and Robert Woods battling injuries, it's a little weird, you know. Hurts the depth at a skill position group that I really, quite honestly, didn't think was tremendous to begin with. Saints coming off of a big win this past week. You know what? Let's take the Saints to win this one on the road. And carry over some of that momentum from that beatdown they laid on New England Patriots. Next, we got a battle of two teams that are probably going to be sticking around in the NFC wildcard hunt. Two teams that, admittedly, I'm not sure we mentioned when we talked power rankings earlier in this episode. The Washington Commanders, sitting at 2-3, and three, head to Atlanta to take on the Falcons at 3-2. and two. Falcons listing no one on their injury report. Commanders, just two players. They're going to be without corner Christian Holmes, who's battling a hamstring injury. And questionable for this one, D-lineman F.E. Obata with a knee. This one's... This one's hard for me, because Atlanta was... I mention this every week, by the way, and if you haven't stuck around, if you haven't heard it before, welcome aboard. You'll hear it next week too, I'm sure. Atlanta was a team that was kind of trying to slither into the playoffs last year, and I was kind of pulling for it. They were a cheeky little squad, you know, to use the British probably evaluation as we have our third London game in a row. Um, but no, admittedly, they were a pretty darn good squad last year. However, I'm really a fan of what Sam Howell's been putting together for this Commanders offense. Desmond Ritter, I'm not sold on yet. Give me the Commanders to win this one on the road. Next, we've got a huge game as the Indianapolis Colts, led by, unfortunately, not their star first-round quarterback. Uh, too soon for star? Star might be a little soon. Their first-round pick QB going to miss this one with a shoulder injury, as we said. Led by Gardner Minshew. will head to Jacksonville and try to break a tie atop the AFC South. This is a revenge game for the shoe. Colts going to be without offensive lineman Braden Smith, who's battling a wrist and hip injury. Questionable tight end Mo Ali Cox with a concussion and center Ryan Kelly with an ankle slash foot. Jaguars going to be without wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee injury. Offensive lineman Walker Little with a knee injury as well. And two on the defensive side, Devon Hamilton with a back on the D-line and Christian Braswell at corner with a hammy. Questionable as well for the Jags, linebacker Devin Lloyd with a thumb injury. I have to pick the Jags in this game, right? It, it's going to be hard for me to see the Jaguars beat Buffalo, almost beat Kansas City, and then lose to Gardner Minshew. Now, admittedly, if you haven't been around, I'll clue you in. If you have, you probably know what I'm going to say. I am damn near driving the bandwagon for Gardner Minshew. I believe he is a pretty darn talented QB who deserves to get a fair shake Give him his chance. I'm not sure who will do it. 
I was saying maybe the Jets should try to deal for him, but now obviously with the Richardson injury, that won't happen. Not to mention they're content to just run out Zach Wilson and see how it goes. Um, however, that's going to work out for them. But admittedly, I am a big fan of Gardner Minshew. I think he's pretty darn talented. He went out there and beat Baltimore. He didn't mess anything up last week, and they brought home the win against the aforementioned Tennessee Titans. So that puts us in a situation where, do I think, fueled by the revenge game narrative, they could pull this off on the road? Not to mention with Jonathan Taylor featuring back in Zach Moss off of probably the best game of his career. I won't check those stats. I'll assume it is. A buck fifty on the ground's a great game. Could they find a way to win this one? Could they force a couple turnovers from Trevor Lawrence? Maybe get some pressure on the QB? I think they could. I think this is going to be a gritty, probably not super high-scoring game. But I got to lean towards the home team. I got to lean towards Jacksonville with Anthony Richardson not going. I think his missing athleticism is key. Give me the Jags. I know it's boring, but give me the Jags to win this one at home. Next, the Seattle Seahawks head to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. They're going to be without two corners, Kobe Bryant with a toe and Artie Burns with a hamstring injury. Doubtful offensive lineman Damian Lewis with an ankle. Questionable, another offensive lineman, Phil Haynes with a calf and backup QB Drew Locke with an ankle injury of his own. The Bengals are going to be without linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither with a knee injury. Questionable, wide receiver T. Higgins, who's battling that rib injury he sustained a few weeks ago. And then a couple on the defensive side, D-lineman Josh Tupu with a toe, linebacker Devin Harper with a hammy, and corner Chidobia Wuzie, one of the best names in the league, with a back injury. Based on what we've seen so far this season, I should pick Seattle in this game. And I should pick Seattle in this game pretty easily. But my pride's going to get in the way. As someone who just watched Jamar Chase have 43 catches for 6,000 yards against the Cardinals, which is admittedly, it's the Cardinals. It's not the hardest thing to do. However, like I said, I did pick this Bengals team to win the AFC. I did pick this Bengals team to go all the way and win the title. They're going to have to start piecing together a couple of win streaks eventually. They're at home. They're facing Geno. Two corner injuries for the Seattle Seahawks in this game. Give me the Bengals. Picking against my brain to win this one at home. Next, we head to the NFC North, where the slumping and honestly, maybe drowning Minnesota Vikings head to Chicago to take on the Bears. The Vikings going to be without Justin Jefferson, as we said, on IR. Questionable for them as well. Running back Kenan Wangwu with a back injury. The Bears going to be without three running backs, count them. Running back Khalil Herbert going to miss this one with an ankle. His backup Travis Homer going to miss this one with a hammy. And Roshan Johnson going to miss this one in the concussion protocol. They're also going to be without wide receiver Equinemius St. Brown, another top name in the league with a hamstring injury, and DB Terrell Smith with an ankle slash illness. Questionable O-lineman Lucas Patrick with a concussion and DB Eddie Jackson with a foot injury. Wow, that's a lot of running backs to be missing a game. Um... Chicago's offense in the last couple of weeks has been a little puzzling to me, and it's not in the way that it was weeks prior, because they dropped a 40 bomb on the Commanders, they dropped 28 on the Broncos, I mean, they had 28 combined the two weeks before that, 
So have they figured it out a little bit? Well, if the Vikings watched the Thursday night game against the Commanders, they might want to double or triple cover DJ Moore. Um, moreover, without Justin Jefferson, we're going to need to see T- DJ Hawkinson, excuse me, TJ Hawkinson, step up. We're also going to need to see Jordan Addison, who's been having a pretty good start to his rookie year, kind of take over as the number one, and that's a big jump. However, as much as the Bears probably should win against the Vikings team that's slumping without their star receiver, I think they're still the Bears. And I think Jordan Addison and Hawkinson with Madison in the backfield, Cam Akers trying to feature his way into this offense, could and probably should be enough if the Vikings want any chance, any chance, at salvaging this season and making a playoff run. Give me the Vikings to win this one on the road. Next, it's one of those games I talked about before. It's our final 1 o'clock kick. The 49ers head to Cleveland to take on the Deshaun Watson-less Cleveland Browns. We'll speed through this one. The Niners listing two players as questionable, running back Elijah Mitchell with a knee and linebacker Drake Greenlaw with a hammy. The Browns, as we said, are going to be without Deshaun Watson, who still has not been cleared to return to play. They're also going to be without their offensive lineman, Joel Betonio, with a knee injury as well as wide receiver Cedric Tillman, who's battling a hip injury. Um, questionable for them, tight end David Njoku, who sustained burns this pe- a couple weeks back, I believe, as we saw, uh, as well as center Ethan Pochich, who's battling a chest, knee, and foot combo. Uh, the 49ers are going to win this game. Even the 49ers, it, it, there's jokes going around on NFL Network they've been talking about. I think they were making shirts that Brock Purdy's a, a robot or an AI He's not a, you know, a normal human quarterback that makes mistakes. If he throws three picks in this game, maybe they'll lose. If the young QB who's running out there for the Browns finds a way, it would be a tremendous career achievement for him. Who knows what that'll mean to them. However, I don't see either of those things happening. Give me Christian McCaffrey to score any time, as he usually does. Take it to your bookie. 49ers over the Browns. Next, our lone 405 kick, a matchup that's admittedly lost some of the spice in the last few years. The New England Patriots head to Vegas to take on the Raiders. There is a laundry list of injuries for the 1-4 Patriots heading into this game, who are going to be, supposedly, sticking with Mac Jones for this one. Let's see how long, if that lasts the whole game. The Patriots are going to be without wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster in the concussion protocol, wide receiver Demario Douglas in the concussion protocol, offensive lineman Cole Strange with a knee injury, offensive lineman Riley Reef and Tyrone Wheatley Jr. also with knee injuries, as well as linebacker Matt Judon with an elbow and DB Cody Davis with a knee injury. Oh, by the way, questionable for this one for the New England Patriots, offensive lineman Trent Brown with a chest injury, offensive lineman Mike Nwenu with an ankle injury, D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee, D-lineman Trey Flowers with a foot, as well as Davin Godcho with an ankle, corner Jonathan Jones with an ankle, Sean Wade also at corner with a shoulder, linebacker Josh Uche with a knee, and we missed wide receiver Tyquan Thornton with a shoulder. That is seven players out, and let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, ten players questionable. The roster is 53 men. That is impressive. That is, oh my goodness, levels of bad luck for week six. The Raiders, on the other hand, going to be without corner Nate Hobbs with an ankle, 
Offensive lineman Justin Heron with a concussion. And questionable, corner Jacorian Bennett with a shoulder injury. Uh, a little bit more tame. If I wasn't taking the Raiders before I read the fact that New England is signing random dudes to play for them, uh, I would now, and I think I will. Do I think this Raiders team is going to be a playoff contender after watching them play the Packers this past week? No. Anything is possible. Josh Jacobs is tremendously talented, as is Devontae Adams. But for some reason, they went, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, so I'm, I'm not really certain they think they're going to be tremendous contenders either. But that's neither here nor there. Give me the Raiders to win this one at home for the second time in the week. Next in the 425 slate, we've got an interesting NFC matchup between the Detroit Lions and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the big pirate ship down at Raymond James. The Lions going to be without running back Jameer Gibbs with a hamstring injury for this one, as well as running back Zonovan Knight with a shoulder, tight end James Mitchell with a hammy, offensive lineman Jonah Jackson with an ankle, defensive lineman Josh Paschal with a knee, and two DBs, Emmanuel Mosley with a knee and Brian Branch with an ankle. Questionable, their rising star of sorts, tight end Sam Laporta with a calf, as well as corner Khalil Dorsey with an illness. Buccaneers listing just one, Shaq Barrett questionable for this one with an illness as well. This is an interesting test game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because right now the Detroit Lions are poised to potentially run away with their division, that being the NFC North. So if you can put up a good fight against a team that's going to run away with their division and potentially be a hands-down NFC contender by way of that, it bodes well for you. What's Baker going to do? How are they going to show up to this one? This Detroit offense looks like it's it's kind of rolling. Are they the best offense in the league? No, I don't know if I'd go that far. 42 points against the Panthers. 34 against Green Bay in Green Bay. Admittedly, a pretty decent Green Bay defense, I would still say. 20-6 to six over the Falcons before. Not their best performance. They barely lose to Seattle, as we said, and they did beat the Chiefs. Detroit's a pretty darn good team. I think Tampa Bay, in a crowded division, has a shot. But I think right now Detroit is just a little bit better than the Baker Mayfield-led Buccaneers. Give me the Lions on the road. Next, our second of three 425 kicks. We head to the NFC West to see the Cardinals take on the LA Rams from SoFi. Cardinals going to be without safety Jalen Thompson with a hamstring injury. Questionable, a laundry list for them. Wide receiver Hollywood Brown with an illness. Tight end Elijah Higgins with an illness as well. Offensive lineman Dennis Daly with an ankle. D-lineman Jonathan Ledbetter with a finger. Three linebackers, Jesse Lacuda, Luketa, Myjai Sanders, and Josh Woods with a thumb and ankle injury respectively, as well as corner Garrett Williams with a knee injury. The Rams listing three is questionable, two on the line, one on the O, one on the D. Uh, offensive lineman Joe Noteboom with a groin injury, Lorel Murchison on the D-line with a knee injury, and linebacker Ernest Jones with a knee as well. The Cardinals have been close in a lot of games, and quite honestly, this could be one of the games they could find a way to win. The Rams are decent, but not great. However, with Cutback and Nakua doing what he's doing, and Kyron Williams in the backfield, I think the Rams have a little bit too much firepower for this Cardinals team. Give me the Rams to win this one at home. 
Next, our final 425 game, we head to New Jersey, where the Philadelphia Eagles take on the Aaron Rodgers-less Jets. The Eagles are going to be without Jalen Carter on the D-line with an ankle injury, safety Justin Evans with a knee, corner Darius Slay with a knee as well, and wide receiver Quez Watkins with a hamstring injury. Questionable, safety Sidney Brown with a hammy, and D-tackle Marlon Tuipolotu with a tricep injury. Tremendous name. Hopeful I did not botch it. Jets going to be without three DBs, which is exactly what you want when you're facing the defending NFC champion. Uh, Brandon Eccles with a hammy, Justin Hardy with a hammy, and DJ Reed, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable for this one, wide receiver Xavier Gibson with an ankle of punt return to win the game week one fame. And defending rookie of the year. Well, you can't say defending rookie of the year because you can't win it twice. Former rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, I should say, Sauce Gardner, questionable for this one as well. Give me the Eagles to win this one on the road. I said we get to 60-second picks, and here we are. Sunday night football. The New York football Giants head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. The Giants, going to be without quite a few players, though. Will it matter? I'm not sure. Going to be without their quarterback, Daniel Jones, who's nursing a neck injury he sustained last week against Miami, as well as offensive lineman Andrew Thomas with a hammy. Matt Pert with a shoulder, and John Michael Schmitz with a shoulder. Also, on the defensive side, they're not going to have Aziz Ojulari at linebacker with an ankle. Questionable, running back Gary Brightwell with an ankle. Running back Saquon Barkley with an ankle. Offensive lineman Shane Lemieux with a groin. Offensive lineman and superstar Evan Neal with an ankle. Tight end Darren Waller with a groin injury. D-lineman DJ Davidson with a knee. And linebacker Micah McFadden with an ankle. It's great that they're missing 42 guys in a game that they were likely going to get blown out in anyway. Um, but yeah, the Bills, two question, three questionable, excuse me, two on the offensive side, I should say. Dalton Kincaid, who's battling a concussion, and Dawson Knox with a wrist at tight end, and corner Dane Jackson with a foot injury. No one's taking the Giants to win this game. No one should take the Giants to win this game unless you like donating money to Las Vegas. Josh Allen, I said week one. If memory serves, he'd have to throw three or four picks to lose that game. I believe he threw three. They lost. I said Mahomes would have to throw an army of interceptions to lose. Which game was that? To the Jets as well. Um, He tried. They didn't. The Zebras, as we know, kind of helped out a little. But as we discussed on the show before, good teams get calls. It's just the way it is in every sport. Um, Yeah, I think Allen's going to have to turn the ball over four times in this one. I know it's a Tyrod Taylor revenge game. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I wish they'd, I don't know if they're going to elevate Tommy DeVito from the practice squad to the main team for this one. I wish they did. I wish they'd let him play. I think we might see him in the second half anyway, because this game will be over. But give me Buffalo to win this one at home. Ho-hum, it's kind of a bye week. This might just turn into a little bit of a scrimmage as they get their bench players in there. Mid-third, early fourth quarter, I would say. Monday Night Football, however, we have a little bit of a better matchup. Two three-and-two teams cross conferences. As the Dallas Cowboys head to SoFi to take on the L.A. Superchargers. This is an interesting matchup. Cowboys fresh off of getting beaten down. Just, oh my goodness, by the San Francisco 49ers. And the Chargers fresh off of a two-game winning streak and a bye week. An early bye week, you know. I tend to think it's a little too early for a bye, but somebody's got to take it at this point in the season, right? I'm going to take the Chargers to win this one at home. They've been close just about every game, right? I mean, we're talking 36-34 loss, 
27-24 loss, 28-24 win, 24-17 win. Some quite did I say three and two? They're two and two, by the way. Uh, some questionable decision making by Brandon Staley. Admittedly, however, Mike McCarthy is not immune to questionable decision making as well. Uh, also, Dak Prescott's not immune to throwing the football to the other team. Additionally, I'm hearing, not that I have sources, but I've been reading the articles, that Austin Eckler is going to make his return, or is likely to make his return this week, though Joey Bosa's having some issues at practice. We don't have the injury report because it's too early, mind you. But a little bit of speculating. If Bosa doesn't go, that will be that will bode pretty well for the Dallas Cowboys. Eckler back out there, though. I think the Chargers have the firepower. I think this should be a relatively high-scoring game. And as long as it doesn't come down to a Brandon Staley late-game decision, the Chargers should win this one at home. Now, you and I both know it's likely that some shenanigans will ensue in this game, but we'll break that down next week. It's hard to predict the things we're running into. You know, I just don't have the analytics, as they like to say, uh, to really dive into the deep numbers of why these decisions are made. So we'll see what happens when we get there. That brings us to our final game of the week. The Jacksonville Jaguars, fresh off their showdown with the Colts, head to New Orleans to take on the Saints, fresh off their showdown in Houston with the Houston Texans. This one could be a sneaky good game. I wouldn't expect it to be overly high scoring. Um, I don't know. I'm 50-50 on this. I have the Saints coming into the year winning their division, as well as obviously Jacksonville winning their division. I think I'm going to take Jacksonville on the road. If Jacksonville finds a way to lose to Minshew, they're really going to need the bounce back. And if they find a way, which shouldn't arguably be the hardest thing in the world, to beat a backup quarterback and make sure they're in first place in their division, it should give them a little bit of momentum. Coupled with the momentum, they're coming off of beating Buffalo overseas. So give me Jacksonville to win this one on the road and get on a little bit of a run here. Take a look at the Jacksonville schedule. They've got the Colts, as we said. They've got New Orleans, and they've got a rough game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've got San Francisco. They've still got Cincinnati, Baltimore left in their schedule, right? So they need these wins where they can get them, and I think in New Orleans, they should be able to. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode, episode number 173 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next weekend as we break down what goes on in just a couple of days here in week six, and we'll also get you ready for all the week seven spicy matchups. Maybe we'll run into another weird news story to break down as we have a handful of weeks running here with Justin Fields feeling robotic, and we didn't even really dive too far into the coach resigning and was reports of him, whatever. Then the Evan Neal thing, and now Steve Smith this week. Hit your mad libs on social media. Feel free to predict what weird headline we're going to get this week. I already saw that someone was saying that if the Giants got the number one pick, maybe Bill Belichick would leave New England to coach the Giants. We didn't even talk about that. Maybe we'll get into some weird stuff like that next week. Either way, I hope you all enjoyed the show. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off. <laughs>